Welcome to In 10, brought to you by the DART Centre for Journalism and Trauma, Asia Pacific. In 10 is a podcast for journalists, journalism educators and researchers and health professionals dedicated to improving media coverage of trauma, conflict and tragedy. We're excited to bring you the first series of the podcast, hosted by Lisa Miller. Lisa is co-host of the ABC's News Breakfast program and was a foreign correspondent for the ABC in Washington, D.C. for three years, covering major stories in Asia, London and America, including the 2005 Bali bombing and the controversial hanging of an Australian drug runner in Singapore. In this first series of In 10, Lisa chats with fellow journalists about their experiences covering trauma and conflict. Helen Kapalos, welcome to In 10. Thanks for having me. Just give me a little snapshot of your career over the years. Oh gosh, okay, I'll give you a very quick summary. So essentially I've spent probably a bit, a bit over two decades at the two, three commercial broadcasters and two public broadcasters. I started at SBS, um, Indigenous Current Affairs magazine, ICAM, but I started in radio at the ABC. So I worked between SBS and ABC for the first part of my career and then a lengthy part of it was also spent in commercial TV. And I ended my career, or I guess it finished off, I'd like to think sort of gracefully in a way, by producing my own documentary on medicinal cannabis. And that was sort of going back to my why. Helen, when was the first time that you thought about what your job could actually do to your mental health or when you were aware of the trauma side of journalism? Look, I think early on in the piece, because I did a lot of crime rounds to begin with, and I also was involved in court reporting as well. I mean, I actually saw a lot of fellow colleagues, uh, I guess, uh, become diagnosed with PTSD along the years, and that really surprised me. It was the first time I realised that mental health was an issue in our industry. But I was also acutely aware aware of the need that we would need to decompress somehow. I often saw uh, people doing that by drinking too much or smoking too much or or sort of diving into a vice, if you like. For me, I think I was always, I knew I was a sensitive soul. I knew that it would, I would probably not fare too well going down one of those rabbit holes. So I went into the, down the path of meditation and yoga and, um, and also just surrounding myself with good, high-spirited and energetic colleagues and people and family. I was going to ask you if you had to give tips to people, um, what would it be? You've indicated meditation, but what are some of the things that you have found worked for you during your career? I think the, the most important thing has been really valuing the strength of your networks, understanding that even sometimes when you feel as though you might have a thin film of connections around you. And what I mean by that is sometimes we just think that we have the two or three or four people that we're associating with every day. And you forget about that wonderful friend that you haven't spoken to, or maybe that cousin you don't see too often. Just remembering that behind all of those connections is another set of connections. And, you know, we're never, ever alone. And I've always just found, I guess for me, that there's been such magic in remembering that. And I've always loved that saying, you know, don't leave before the miracle. So, you know, at times when I felt despondent and that I don't really know who to talk to or how to sort of, I guess, decompress in a way that will be, will allow me to, I guess, serve the community in the way that I wish to. At times I've had to really go back to basics and maybe speak to that person that's actually quite detached from what I'm doing and and who I am. And also remembering, I guess, it is a job, 
it is at times just a job and I, and and I think for me remembering to attach to the humanity of the job not to the egoic part of that job because I think that's another downfall or I guess pitfall of, of, of this industry so that people think or equate their ambition or success to how many times they've been on camera or what the you know maybe I've landed a really plush gig for me it was it was never about that in fact I guess the more visible, you know, the more visibility that I had, the more uncomfortable I would feel a lot of the time. So for me, it was always about just, you know, being tough on myself and did I um, interview the right people? Did I tell the story the right way? Did this tell, was I telling, you know, uncovering the truth? Was I reaching the audiences that I need to? Did this influence the community around me in a positive way? Is there one particular story that stayed with you over the years? I think for me, I really can't go past the medicinal cannabis documentary that I made in 2015. I think it will be the story. Um, it will be. It's the story of a lifetime for me, and I think it's the story of a lifetime because I went into that story thinking the complete opposite of what it would turn out to be. I, I had my own preconceived notions about medicinal cannabis. And not that I didn't believe it didn't work, but that I had a myopic view of the topic. And when you're a journalist, you think that you're pretty open-minded, that you've seen a lot. And I guess, you know, in that way, I felt like I was a good, open, and I guess, adaptive mindset. But when I went into that story, I really I, I surprised myself. I thought it would just be about people that were ameliorating um, symptoms of associated with chemotherapy or pain. I didn't realise that it could also be used in different ways. I didn't realise that there was a scientific narrative there um, and that we were really still in this modern age. You know, it was a contemporary myth that we were working through or stigma. And I thought, wow, I can't believe that I'm seeing a story like this in my lifetime, I guess. Um, And it's a story I keep working on too. And you would have been dealing with people who were going through some pretty difficult times. Did you take on processes to try and make the interview processes easier? Uh, Did you learn things about how you dealt with people who were possibly vulnerable? I think for me, I've always been aware of the fact that as interviewers, as journalists, we have a really strong responsibility to listen We just have to listen, you know, and often we don't do that. You know, often we go in and we're already shaping that story in our minds. So I think for me, I had to really hold myself to account about how I listened and how I responded. Um, And then it went from there. So I really had to challenge myself to be in the moment and, and really let the community shape the story. And I think that for me was the beauty of that story. So in a way, deciding to leave the commercial network I was with and self-fund this story. It was a huge decision. It was it was momentous really for me because I could have lost my home. Um, I was out of work for quite a while. I was just really obsessed with making the documentary. I took out you know, an extension of, you know, my mortgage. I had to sell my home to fund it. Um, none of all those things sound dramatic and maybe they were at the time but really they gave me back my life they gave me back my why they gave me back the sense of why I've become had become a journalist and why I um taken this path and I think the vulnerability part you know being able to tell other people's story being able to relate to them I think really that's the in a way that's the simple part that's the part that we 
all have, you know, we're all, you know, as a journalist, you are a humanist, you're a humanitarian, you're someone that understands the triumph of humanity in a tragedy. You see that all the way through your career. And so for me, it was about, again, following this grassroots movement and really having that privileged invitation to go into people's homes and understand and see their story through their eyes, through their lives. And really it was through the children, um, you know, where it was really acutely brought home to me. Kids with intractable epilepsy that were, you know, having to, um, you know, make this difficult, or parents having to make the difficult choice, do we keep them on these heavy drugs or do we use CBD oil or a form of medicinal cannabis that will reduce the seizures, not really knowing if we have a really strong scientific basis in which to do so. But, you know, if you're a child, um, if you're a parent in those circumstances and you're watching your child suffer, that's the part I could really relate to. And also I think a lot of us have seen parents or our loved ones with cancer. I think for me immediately I went to thoughts of my mum and I you know, really wished that we'd had something when the opioids weren't, opioids weren't working for her. I was mortified watching her in pain the last six months of her life. Uh, just really horrific watching people waste away like that. And I thought, gosh, I wish I'd known that there was an alternative or something that could have helped ease the pain. Given your experience over the years, why do you think it's important to have an organisation like the DART Centre for Journalism and Trauma? Well, I think it's incredibly important because I don't think people realise what uh, what journalists face in their career. I mean, I've, I've seen it up close. I, I think it's a really hard profession to, particularly when you're in the front line, it, you know, it's the same as a first responder. I mean, you're, and we see what happens with veterans and first responders and anyone in these situations. That's essentially what, you know, you're in that class of people. And it can honestly just take one event. So if you're at a natural disaster where you're seeing, and you see some horrific things, you, you're covering the awful bushfires in Victoria or, you know, the Christchurch earthquake, um, whatever it might be, or a horrific train crash, you are often there at the scene of a crime or at the scene of a tragedy or a murder at the same time in real time as police officers are, um, as family members are finding out about that trauma and responding to that trauma. So it's incredibly important that we're able to acknowledge that within the industry we have to have safeguards and we have to have ways of, uh, of coping with what can be acutely difficult situations to deal with. Helen Kafalos, thanks for joining us for In 10. Thank you so much. It's been a real joy. Thank you.